Before we begin, I want to tell you about a really funny and insightful movie podcast called I Saw What You Did. Every week, Millie DeCherico and Daniel Henderson share a double feature with a different wild theme and explore how our life stories impact the movies that we love. Millie and Danielle discuss cult classics through a feminist lens, have conversations about their film crushes throughout the ages, and provide hilarious hot takes on just about everything. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can follow I Saw What You Did wherever you get your podcasts. The Moth is a great podcast to hear true stories told by people from all walks of life in front of live audiences. And The Moth is bringing you a very special episode about a galaxy far, far away. In honor of May the 4th, or Star Wars Day, they're going to feature hilarious and heartwarming stories about the way that Star Wars has changed people's worlds. Listen now by searching The Moth on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Imaginary Worlds, a show about how we create them and why we suspend our disbelief. I'm Eric Malinsky. I recently got a backstage tour at a Broadway theater. It was eight hours before showtime, and the show was a live Star Wars extravaganza. Uh, <gasps> oh my God, that's a life-size R2-D2. So he's a uh, he's fully custom. That is Russell Beatty, who created this production. He was showing me all the props, which also included a giant puppet of Jabba the Hutt, and the costumes were impressive too. Yeah, you'll see there's a ton of costumes in here. Boba Fett. You know. I recognize all these costumes, except Boba Fett usually doesn't have... Uh... Windows for cleavage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bush. Um... Yes, you heard him right. He did say windows for cleavage. Oh, did I mention that this is a burlesque parody of Star Wars called The Empire Strips Back? I probably should have mentioned that up top. Although, before I remove any more layers to the story, I should reiterate that this episode will be dealing with adult themes using adult language. The Empire Strips Back began in Sydney in 2011. They've been on a world tour. It's taken them to the UK, the US, and Canada. And this tour ended in New York City on May 4th, which is Star Wars Day, as in May the 4th be with you. So what did the fans think that night? seeing their favorite Star Wars characters stripped down to pasties and G-strings. I love it. Yeah. It's very, I don't know how to It's a nerd's wet dream. It, it literally is a nerd's wet dream. <laughs> I couldn't put it any better. We're loving it. It's like the best show of all time. <laughs> no, we really think that the, we just love the dancing and the choreography, everything. It's amazing. Some of the dancers stripped to music from Star Wars, but mostly they danced to contemporary songs that embodied the spirit of those characters. For instance, Boba Fett showed off her cleavage to Welcome to the Jungle. Princess Leia's hologram was choreographed to Lana Del Rey's Young and Beautiful, while that remote-controlled R2-D2 made it rain by shooting $1 bills out of his slot. And Han Solo stripped to Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson with some help from Chewbacca. By the way, Han Solo was played by a male dancer. In case you didn't know, there are a lot of men who do burlesque. One of my favorite acts was C-3PO, who looked like a very elegant female version of C-3PO. And while C-3PO was dancing on a platform, Jawas came on stage and removed her gold plates piece by piece. They were literally stripping her for parts. Kale Murray was performing inside that C-3PO costume. 
the actual uh, creation of that, you know, was three hours of standing to get my whole body cast um, to be to have the, the actual costume molded um, to a replica of my body, uh, and then to just add a few more variables to make it a little bit more fun. I mean, nice big platform heels. I'm on a rotating platform. And again, if I'm in darkness, I cannot see anything because there's little lights that reflect into my eyes. And it's almost like pinhole vision. If there's a little bit of light on the floor I can see. Uh, but really it's 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 um, trusting that uh, the crew's there. They help me onto the stage. They help me onto the platform. Um, we do yeah, a quick very, test. Yeah, and, very uh, limited <laughs> movement as yeah. well. And she's uh, there's like something like 30 pieces yeah. in that costume. And they're held together by high-powered magnets. And because mm. it's so tight wow. on her body, she's had a big meal that day. She's going to get pinched. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime they wear a mask or um, a helmet in the show, which is a lot in this show, they're basically performing blind under the lights. Mm. Yeah, so the audience are unaware of that. And that's that's part of our job. We have to take it, you know, we make something look hard, look easy, and things will look easy, make it look hard. Russell's company has other fantasy-related burlesque shows like Game of Thrones, Ghostbusters, and a Batman show that's set in the 1930s. They also created high-concept memorabilia, which they sell at the shows. And for the Empire Strips Back, they created an issue of what's basically Playboy set in the world of Star Wars. And it is surprisingly accurate to a 1970s Playboy with fake ads, letters to the editor, and naughty Star Wars cartoons. Burlesque, it's a mirror to what's ever happening. If you want to, you know, be a satirical, it's a mirror to what's happening in society. And, you know, geek culture has taken over the world. So burlesque kind of, if it wants to stay current, mm. kind of has to be a part of that. In fact, there is a subset of burlesque called nerdlesque. And nerdlesque is where all the action is. So how did burlesque get to this point? going from feather fan dances and small nightclubs to selling at a Broadway theater full of Star Wars fans. And what do traditional burlesque performers think about geek culture invading their subculture? That is just in a moment. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So Burlesque made a big comeback about 20 years ago. It was part of the third wave of feminism, where women were reclaiming derogatory terms and cultural ways in which they had been exploited, from cheesecake pinup art to burlesque. Again, here's Kale Murray. And I love that aspect of burlesque, going, this is me, this is my body, I choose to play these characters and I can do it to whoever, you know, in front of whomever I choose. Um, and I think that's a really empowering and a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I have experienced way less sexual harassment being in a burlesque production company or doing any, uh, you know, sexy shows than I ever have in retail and hospitality in my time, Mm. 100%. Interesting. (laughs) My producer Stephanie and I also met up with two local nerdlesque performers here in New York who go by the names Femme Appeal and Nasty Canasta. 
So should I refer to you as first names, as Femme and Nasty? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. I wasn't sure we were really writing emails. I've never written an email saying, hi, Nasty. Hi, Nasty. But... <laughs> I know. <laughs> Honestly, if I had known 15 years ago that that was going to be the, the name that the world knew me by, I might not have picked it. Okay. <laughs> Femme and Nasty were some of the first burlesque performers to do Nerdlesque, although back in the early 2000s, it wasn't called Nerdlesque. For Femme, it was just the most sincere way she could express herself. I'm a big, like, movie buff, so I would go to all these movies, science fiction and horror, and then I'd see the movie, Blade, um, It, and I'm like, I'm going to make that a number. So that was what informed what I did on stage, because everyone else was doing their own thing, and it was a variation on classic or neo, and me, I just, I was just like, what can I do to tell my stories and Mm. it had to be weird it had to be a monster it had to involve masks (laughs) or um mustaches i love mustaches oh my god i love you in a mustache though (laughs) as sci-fi fantasy franchises became bigger and bigger femme and nasty started noticing more nerdlesque shows and femme has another theory why nerdlesque became so popular i think as far as bringing an audience to nerdlesque that's a a easier pill to swallow than regular burlesque Mm -hmm. because for many people yeah when you're thinking about burlesque as it is they know that the person's gonna get naked and a lot of people have this notion that there's something wrong with me that i'm sitting here right now watching this yeah yeah happen and so if you temper that with humor and maybe something that they're passionate about like uh you know, whatever it is, Star Wars, people are like, oh, my God, I know who that is. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think people will have a better time with that than they would with traditional burlesque. It's an easy entree, you're right. Yeah. Although burlesque performers have discovered that they need to tread carefully when going into well-established fandoms. This is Lisa Toyer, who's a choreographer on The Empire Strips Back. When Russell first suggested doing a Star Wars burlesque show, I thought we were going to be slaughtered because I know how um, how insane the Star Wars fans are and I thought if we mess with their their characters, they're just going to kill us. But they absolutely loved it. So There's a kind of duty of care and responsibility when you take on someone's fandom. We don't want to be seen as people, a bunch of burlesque people putting on a Star Wars show. We want us to be seen as Star Wars putting on a burlesque show. And they've shown a deep knowledge of Star Wars. For instance, there are these alien characters called Twi'leks. They have these long tubes coming out of their heads. Often they have green or blue skin. One of them was fed to the Rancor in Return of the Jedi. They're not that well known among casual Star Wars fans. But Lisa choreographed a really poignant dance between two Twi'leks in Jabba's palace. Kale finds that moment in the show really quite moving. They're slaves they're also um, sex workers. So it's quite sad and quite beautiful to, to create an act that actually carries that idea across as something beautiful and kind of sad is, is really tricky to do, but very cleverly done with the right choreography. Lisa explored a similar terrain when she choreographed a slave Leia dance. It was really important to me that Leia, even though she was a slave, remained in control the whole time. So there's a lot of other characters within that scene um, and she comes around and plays with them but one of my things was nobody was to touch her. Jabba does touch her but nobody else was to touch her. And there's consequences for that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, we try and subvert that as much as we can. Um, but also we don't do it like with that costume is so iconic. So it's one of the things she actually doesn't strip at all. She's already in it and she ends in it. And the thing, what it is, it's all about her movement and taking control. That's the kind of what the act's about. But the hardest character for them to get right was Darth Vader. I used to play Darth Vader in this show. That's something that, you know, the power that you can have with that character is so immense. And there have been a few versions that we've done that haven't really sort of had that power. We've had to to work on that a little bit. And once you get it right, people are just so, like, they're with you. They're, they're totally with you from start to finish. And, um, yeah, it's it's intense. I, actually, hold on. Could you could be more specific? I'm really curious. What were some of the things that you did that were not working? And then what are some of the changes that you made where you're like, yes, this feels right? Essentially, there's a few things like, one, nailing the costume. Originally, when Lisa was Vader, we had a latex Vader costume, which looks amazing, a uh, catsuit, but horrible to strip in, absolutely horrible. <laughs> and also, we didn't want to show Vader's skin at any point. We didn't want to show any skin. We didn't want to take anything away from being that strong image of Vader. Now, how do you do a burlesque show without showing any skin, you know, as far as what people expect? But we, we worked around that ways but then like we've been through a few different costumes and I think we've finally landed on something we're really happy with it only after nine years of doing it but it's also about having like little things like you need to have a strong body because you can't use your face to convey any of this you know um it's all in the mask I mean I knew who the character was and I knew what I wanted the character to be I just had to make sure that every movement had had power and charge in it I heard something very similar from Nasty Canasta and Femme Appeal. They said a nerd-less performer has to capture the essence of a character or even the essence of a movie just through movement. There is a newer performer. His name is Twinkie Boots. Oh, God, he's great. And he's when great. I first saw him, it was in the Philadelphia Burlesque Festival. And I don't know how this has never happened before, but he has a Matrix act. I've never seen a Matrix act. And we were all talking about it like, of course he's doing a Matrix act. He can move his body. He's an amazing in, physical performer, yeah. And we were talking about, I don't want to see a Matrix act that doesn't use all the the movement because then you're doing a disservice to the character and, and the whole film. And that's the problem I have with some things. You look like the character. You're not doing anything that the character does. Well, and it's, you know, not everybody's trained. I'm I'm not a dancer. I can, you know, I taught myself how to walk in heels, but um, I probably wouldn't wouldn't tackle the Matrix because I feel like that's something, you know, obviously we're like, as far as I know, none of us are superheroes. So, you know, you could be so like, I'm, I could do Superman, even though I can't actually fly. Right. But I, I wouldn't touch the Matrix because I, I feel like that's something you do have to, you yes. either have to yes. have that movement in you or it has to be about your inability to do that, perhaps. Right. They also have to strike a balance between honoring those characters and putting their own spin on them. In fact, a lot of performers have described Nerdlesque as the ultimate self-insert because they're inserting themselves into those worlds in a way that's different from fan fiction or cosplay. For years and years and years, I had a Lieutenant Uhura act. 
I had this um, Captain Kirk cutout, <laughs> and I did horrible things to him because in I was referencing three different episodes from the original series, The Trouble with Tribbles, The Naked Time, and Plato's Stepchildren. Mm-hmm. So when I took the kiss, that whole like, oh, my God, it's the first interracial televised kiss. And I was like, kiss? I'm going to blow him. How about that? Um, and then years later, it's like Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. And of course, if you're a person of color, you did Lieutenant yes. Uhura. And I'd be like, hey, I've been doing this for how long? Five years or so. Like, why are you? And then, you know, I, I started to relax because I didn't write the character. Exactly. I don't own it. I don't own the music most of the time. You learn to relax and just hope that your work will will stand above. Are there certain sort of sci-fi fantasy franchises or storylines that are very, very ripe for, for nerdlesque? There's Star Wars, Star, Star Trek, Wars. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I don't even watch it. There's a thousand Game of Thrones shows happening right now. Like yeah. right this very minute, Seriously. there's 15 <laughs> Game of Thrones burlesque shows happening right now. You saw those same ones over and over again. Um, but now that people are just kind of going with it. I mean, God, I saw somebody do it an act as the Tesseract. Like, <laughs> okay. like that's kind of cool. Right? Mm-hmm. Can you actually get more specific? Like, what are some acts that you saw where they took characters or did something with something you're familiar with that, especially you, not, not just as an audience member, but as a fellow performer, just thought, wow, I never would have thought of that. So the one... The act that has been, I, I can't stop talking about this act, is it's, um, it was just performed at the Nerdlesque Festival. It's Harry Potter and uh, Draco Malfoy. So it's basically uh, Harry alone on his birthday and makes a wish and then Draco pops out of a cake and they get it on. The two performers, it's um, Draco Muffboy and Chastity Twist, and they are both from Vancouver because the Canadians hand us our nerd butts on a platter. They are yeah. incredible. Um it's adorable. It's very cute. And at the outset, you're like, oh, Harry Potter, it's adorable. And Chastity actually is a dead ringer. It's kind of weird. And and then it just gets like there's whipped cream and 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 wands and um <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, there is they, their wands go places. It's right. just I mean, I watched an entire audience, there's 200 people like lose their shit over this. It was amazing. Is Nerdless particularly good for Slash? Oh, yeah. It's actually really wonderful because I think there's a there's a point at which I think like, you know, we kind of want to slash everything now. And you're like, OK, that's fine. But at the same time, you do get to see it. I don't know. Right. You're like, what if, right. you know, like, all right, I I, I really want to see Harry and Draco get it on. Like, OK. Just to clarify here, the sexual acts they're describing are all pantomimed. And also, if you're not familiar with the term slash, it comes from fan fiction. Slash is when you hook up two characters that are not an item in the official canon. And it's called slash because when you punctuate a story like that in fan fiction, you would say Harry slash Draco. Now, Russell Beatty's company loves to play with slash pairings as they cover all these different fantasy franchises. But they won't do Harry Potter at all. I don't think we can sexualize children. Um, mm-hmm. characters Definitely. and we stay away from doing anything like that. The closest I've come to doing, you know, a, a kind of children's thing is um, Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. but we turned that on its head. We based it on um, a 1960s London fashion label called Bieber, 
and we made Dorothy a young mod girl in her early 20s and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I draw the line at sexualizing children's characters. Yeah, because it's an interesting question because Star Wars is something that initially we all come across as children, you know, So and yet obviously there are plenty of adults who love it too. Um, so, yeah, I was wondering if that was ever something you thought about at all. Yes and no. Like these days it's it's everywhere. For us to not, you know, do a parody of the world's biggest pop culture entity owned by the world's biggest production company. It's kind of like, well, what then do you do it about? But Nasty Canasta feels the same way about doing Harry Potter. They're not kids. Like, I'm 42. Like, clearly me in a Hogwarts outfit (laughs) doesn't mean that I'm eight years old. Like, I am a adult-bodied human, and I, I don't really care. This brings up an interesting point in terms of how the general public interacts with Nerdlesque. I mean, I've noticed in conversation with people when I tell them about this episode, some of them look pretty uncomfortable at the thought of these characters from wholesome fantasy franchises stripping on stage. And honestly, until I saw a live Nerdlesque show, I was a little squeamish about it too. And I was surprised how intentionally funny the shows are. I mean, by the end, the muscles in my face were actually sore from laughing so hard. And I think the humor allows the audience to let down their guard. The only negative feedback I've had of this whole tour is people who haven't seen the show. Mm-hmm. Like, they see the 100%. idea and they're like, oh, this is weird, no thanks, da 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 And then I go, just come and see the show. If you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. The show goes beyond that realm of, of, of that even to the point where we have people who have never seen burlesque who have never seen Star Wars, and they still come, and they still have an incredible time. That audience response at the end when you do get to go out and talk to the people and you realise how touched they are by what you've done with those characters is something that you don't get in the regular burlesque world. Although Kale has gotten negative feedback from people in the regular burlesque world. I performed a regular um, corset and feather style show and I had a performer come up to me and say, oh, you do burlesque. I was like, I've been doing burlesque for six years, you know, with The Empire Strips Back. She goes, it's not really burlesque, though, is it? (laughs) Femme and Nasty have noticed the opposite problem. Burlesque performers doing nerdlesque, even if they're not geeks at heart. Nerdlesque became this hot thing, and then everyone was like, I'm going to do I need a Harley Quinn act. And it's like, do you? Do you need that? Like, you didn't have it before. Why make it now? And please do it justice. Otherwise, you're just a mercenary and nobody wants to see you. It's like but that have... idea, you have to have a fan dance so, and you have to have a nerdlesque act. So I'm like, I don't, I don't have a fan dance. You don't have to have a nerdlesque act. And there are other ways that nerdlesque stands out. You're sort of your, your burlesque floor show supper club wants, you know, young appearing, yes. um, fit, female bodied, female presenting women in pretty costumes dancing um they don't want femme appeal as a dobby as dobby (laughs) and the other thing i think too is so when i first started um i i can't remember how many of us there were like none but (laughs) it wasn't i would be the only in a show yep the thing that's the the trends that are changed are we have different identifying people so it's um not 
it's non-binary, um, but we also have POCs and um, and all Latin burlesque and all this burlesque, and that wasn't the case years ago. I think in general it's just one of the few art forms, commercial art forms, it is commercial, we do shows, people pay to see them, um, that is not, you know, straight white men yes. dictating everything. You Especially know. this particular fan culture. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So where does Nerdless go from here? It depends on whether you think we're in a bubble that's about to burst from too many superheroes and too much fantasy mythology, or if you think this is just the new normal. And if sci-fi fantasy genres continue to dominate pop culture, how much can Nerdlesque really be a part of that? We are already a niche market and the idea um, that I'm like, oh, you know, why are you scared of bodies? But people are, um, you know, every social media is cracking down on every part of a body that isn't an elbow. I think Nerdlesque is still a little more, this is a very loaded way of saying this, possibly a little more honestly presented because it is a little more... But I love this story. I love this thing. I love this character. And I just want to do this thing. Um, and because it is more open to different humans creating and consuming it, that possibly gives it a little longer lifespan. But I, I don't I don't know how long any of this has left, honestly. I, I feel like with Nerdless, though, the sky is the limit because you can really take anything and that can be your jam. And to me, honestly, I, I've started after... 15 years of this I I've I find myself more attracted to or more sort of intellectually turned on by act by nerdlesque acts that are not character specific or not um property specific so I did a whole show um a couple times we did a few repeats um that was just heroes versus villains and it was just your own your own hero your own villain your own like make up a superhero mm. I, I I sort of encourage people newer performers come up with their own stories too and their own characters. I think that's I think that's the next step, really. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Russell Beatty, Kale Murray, Lisa Toyer, Femme Peel, and Nasty Canasta. I put a slideshow of some of their work on the Imaginary World's Instagram page, or as much as social media will allow. My assistant producer is Stephanie Billman. You can like the show on Facebook. I tweeted E. Malinsky and Imagine Worlds Pod. And the show's website is imaginaryworldspodcast.org. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. 
Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. <laughs> 